1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, I want you to head to verse 9. I'm going to recap just a little bit in terms of reading it, not explaining it again from last week. But um, I'll just read on from 9 and we'll pick up from there. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel laid down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Therefore Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Samuel, a young Nazarite, given to God's service from before his birth, before his conception, chosen then and called by God himself to lead a nation spiritually as a young man. And he's given this humongous burden. And uh, in the course of this, I hope you noticed uh, why I read from where I read is the vision or the prophecy that God gave Samuel. His first prophecy was a heavy weight. Uh, it dealt with the state of Eli, the priest, and his sons, Hopni and Phinehas, and how they had not honored God, how God had been absent from Israel at that time. And that's interesting because Samuel is put in as a young man. He's put into God's tabernacle to serve God, and yet he's in a place that God's not even in. Eli the priest has made a mockery of God's temple. We'll see that it's 40 years that Eli judges the people of Israel from Shiloh. 40 years and his sons have run amok this whole time. And we read in the previous weeks and studied that. We saw how Hopni and Phinehas, um, they, they were priests in charge of the tabernacle, in charge of the Ark of the Covenant, in charge of the sacrifice. And they had wholesale theft going on, blasphemy, sexual chaos, prostitution, and they did it all in the name of God. They weren't the secular part of the nation. They were the religious part of the nation. And they did it all right there in the tabernacle of God under the auspice of God. And in his name, 
They did all those things. And Samuel, as a young man, is given that and told to tell Eli, hey, basically, you're going to die. God's going to judge you. God's going to judge your sons. And uh, it's going to be enough that everybody's ears are going to tingle. And uh, when I hear that, I always often think of the commercial that they had for a while. And it, it was something about the stockbroker guy. And when E.F. Hutton speaks, and, and they would show everybody, and they would all stop. And everybody would listen. And, uh, you know, it'd be a big crowd of people and in the commercials. And then someone said, well, E.F. Hutton says, and everybody would stop and they would listen. And, and what God was going to do was going to get everybody's attention. It was going to grab everybody by the ears. They were going to hear it and they were going to understand something was happening. In Samuel's life and what happens near the end of chapter nine, uh, three, verse 19 or so, we have this interesting thing. First, he has a hard message and... Uh, he has to tell Eli what the message is. Eli presses him. And this is like the first test of him as a prophet. Is It's one thing to know God's word. It's the next thing to be willing to share God's word. Now, Eli had been, uh, Samuel had been given a heavy word. It wasn't like, hey, you're going to have a great life. God's going to bless you. Uh, it's going to be wonderful. Everything's going to go just fine. He actually was going to tell Eli that God's judgment was going to fall upon him. And yet he didn't waver. In telling that he didn't waver in passing along exactly what God said as God said it and Eli recognized that it was God that did it and Eli said well you know it's up to God that's what he's chosen that's what's going to happen in that place what's interesting is Eli didn't repent yeah. Eli did not turn from what he did because this didn't happen the next day God didn't visit and kill Hopney and Phineas and Eli on that day it happens years later, and, and we're just left with this little glimpse of Samuel's time. It says, so Samuel, verse 19, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all who heard it from Dan to Beersheba knew that God had established him as a prophet. This is a young man in the tabernacle of God, and he's growing up physically and spiritually He's growing up. Is he in a God place or is he in a godless place? We know, right? The answer? He's in a pretty godless place. Every day that Samuel's growing up, outside on the steps, Hopney and Phineas are picking their latest bedfeller gal. They're going out there to get the next one they're going to sleep with. They're going to the boiling pots and they're stealing the meat sacrifice out. Every day that he grows up, He's in that place, but somehow in God's providence, somehow in God's provision, Samuel learns to depend on God. And, and I think it's important. I don't know who spoke to him. I don't know who taught him. I don't know what he heard. I don't know how it got through. But I, I see there's a danger in our world is that we expect our kids. We have them in church for an hour once a week. And then they're put out into the system where God has been banned, where speaking about God is banned, where anything uh, related to God's word is rejected and you're to believe in godlessness and you're to promote uh, pornography and alternative gender lifestyles and racism and all these new things that we have, which are not new, they're old, they're not new. 
They've all been around multiple times before. God's word, we can see each of these things that now the world is promoting. But our kids, how many hours a week do they spend in school normally? I mean, it's changed with the Zoom thing, but how many hours? You know, they got eight hours a day, five days a week. That's 40 hours. Yeah, and then you got sports and you got the coaches and you got the time and the practice and the homework and everything else and the agenda. I just was watching this last week. There were some gals back east um, and they were, they were protesting the fact that their kids in school were being exposed to gay pornography in school books in the library. And the curriculum for the sex agenda was uh, about how to explore alternative lifestyles and genders. And that was being promoted in the school district. And the school district was fighting these mothers. And what, what brought them to shame was that the mothers began to read passages from the book in the open meeting that was being recorded with the school superintendent people sitting up there and they had to hear the words. It was okay while they didn't look at it. It was okay while it was in the library. But as soon as someone read it to them out in public, then they got a little embarrassed by their sin because it was brought to the light of day. And it's interesting that John says in the book of John, it says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Part of what God's word does is an offense. It's an offense that brings light into darkness and reveals what's in the darkness. And it's not pretty. I look what George John said. He's the old guy sitting there with Bill Gaither. And he said he was in the service and he got into a lifestyle as a paratrooper. You know, he got down really in the gutter. But then he came back and found uh, redemption in Christ. He found forgiveness. He found grace in Christ. And uh, that, it wasn't pretty what was in his lifestyle. He recognizes that and all the glory goes to God now. We have a system though, a world system that's out there. And the key to this was found in this verse as well. God was with him. Mike, yes? What's, I keep thinking about how irresponsible Eli is. He's not taking a responsibility for this. He's leaving it up to God. Yeah, but he's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of like what we see today. We leave it up to courts to decide. Absolutely. Um, it's always someone else's problem. Yeah. Oh, well, what can I do? It's just the way it is. It's just the way things go. I've heard this a number of times. People say, well, you know, uh, what am I supposed to do? These are my family or this is my kids. And, you know, we're headed off in this direction or that direction. And we just go with the wind. Well, God's word establishes a foundation, a solid foundation that our life in Christ is built on and we can't stray from because it's in Christ and it's based on him and it's reflected against him. And so when something doesn't align with Christ, it's a problem and it needs to be dealt with. And it doesn't mean to be dealt with by somebody else. It needs to be dealt with with us. Absolutely, you've identified a problem. And my point is, is that Samuel's growing up under Eli, who just heard the judgment of God from the man of God previously. Now he hears it reiterated through Samuel. And Eli continues for years more. Years more. He's 98 years old when he dies. He judged Israel for 40 years. So 98 minus 40 is when did he start judging Israel? Someone do the math real quick. Check us, get your shoes off. We'll count our fingers and toes. I think it's 58 years old. He began to judge Israel. And in that time period, his sons are running amok. Everything has become a facade. However, God was with Samuel as a young man, as a young boy, a teen. 
And God let none of his words, none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And you contrast that growing up in the same tabernacle, the same house as Eli, who every one of his words has fallen to the ground. Remember what it said back in the previous chapter? It said that God's word was rare in those days. Because God didn't speak. Eli was the priest, but God wasn't speaking through him. God's presence, we'll find out, wasn't even there. It tells us right here in the next verse when it shows back up. Uh, it says, Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. That's a really important couple of chunks of verses there in context that you need to see. The Lord appeared again. What does that tell you? He wasn't there. How sad is that? It, it, it's a church building without Christ. Doesn't matter how grand it looks. It doesn't matter how many seats are in it. It doesn't matter how many people pile into it. If it's without Christ, it's empty. It's a sepulcher. It's a tomb. It's dead. And Eli was running a dead tabernacle. And here comes a young boy that God chose, that God called, that God called out to, and Samuel responded. Remember Samuel's words? Here I am. Speak, Lord, that servant heareth. Samuel was willing to hear what God had to say, and God showed up through this one. He didn't show up through Hophni and Phinehas. They were priests. He didn't show up through Eli the priest. He didn't show up through the people. He didn't show up through everybody else. God shows up through one kid who's living in an empty hole, in an empty temple. And God's presence shows up again. And what's, what's sad is where did God dwell? Within the tabernacle. This is a picture that God paints in his word. And it's important to get. Where did God dwell in the tabernacle? Was it in the courtyard? Let's work our way in from the outside. Was it in the courtyard? Was it in the bronze labor where you would wash your hands? Was it on the altar of burnt offering where they would offer the sacrifices? Well, it wasn't in there. Okay, well, let's go in the building. Okay, now we're in the holy place. There's the table of showbread. Was it there? No. How about the lampstand over here? Was it there? No. Okay, well, let's go into the holy of holies. Was it in here? Yes. Oh, oh. The ark. The ark. It was in the ark. No, it wasn't in the ark. It was above the ark. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah, you are. I'm pointing at you because you got it right. You got it right. Ladies and gentlemen, Lori got it right. <laughs> It was above the Ark of the Covenant, above the mercy seat, between the wings of the cherubim. Not in the Ark, not in the Holy of Holies, although he was there in the Holy of Holies in that place. But guess what? In Eli's day, God wasn't there. He wasn't in that dwelling place where he would show up where once a year they would pour out the blood on the mercy seat. That was just an empty facade. It had all the relics. It had all the novelty of what God had given Israel all along. It had all the picture of everything. What's interesting, there's a uh, shadow of Christ first coming here. And uh, you say, well, in Samuel, what does that have to do with, you know, like Luke 2? How does that tie together with Matthew 1? How, how does that all come together? Well, I'll tell you how it comes together is this. At the time John the Baptist 
His father was a priest and his father was chosen to go in to offer the sacrifice that year to burn incense in the Holy of Holies. They had to burn incense so that the, the smoke would cover the Holy of Holies. So when the priest went in there to pour out the blood on the mercy seat that he could not see, he walked in and just poured it out on the mercy seat, but it was to be filled with the smoke of incense. If you read the Old Testament, you see when God gave them the process of sacrifice, the process of the incense and everything else. So it's John the Baptist's father. Now, John the Baptist was what? Kind of kid was he? How was he raised? We've been here before. He was a Nazarite. He was Nazarite. What, what was Samuel? Nazarite. He was a Nazarite as well. Interesting. So Zechariah goes in and he's going to go burn the incense. He meets up the angel. What was in the Holy of Holies that day that Zechariah went in to burn the incense in the Holy of Holies that Gabriel the angel meets him? What's in there? What was supposed to be in there? The ark? Yeah, but what was in there? I think they had a rock. That's all they had. It was a rock. See, when they went into Babylonian captivity, the ark was taken, the ark was removed. Jeremiah chapter uh, 3, 16. I'm going to turn there real quick. I'll read you this passage. Uh, it's very interesting when you connect this together. Because in Samuel's time, God's presence is missing from the ark. In Christ's time, well, let me don't spoil the whole thing here. Let me get you to chapter 3, verse 16 of Samuel. I mean of Jeremiah. And then it shall come to pass when you are multiplied, increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, that they will no, say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made anymore. God prophesied that at the time of Christ, the ark of the covenant would be gone. They would have an empty room with just a rock in it where they would pour out the blood of the lamb at that time of year that once the priest would enter that one time of year. In Samuel's time, there was a box still there. What was the box made out of? Yeah, acacia wood. Uh, do you think there was a holy tree that God planted one tree that that tree grew and it was to be the holy tree to make the holy box to be the holy place or whatever? No, it was just a tree. And God gave some special men, some craftsmen ability, and they took a tree and they cut it up and they made a box. And then they got some gold, which they got out of the ground. Was it special gold? Do you think it was heavenly gold? Do you think it, you know, came down on a meteor or something that it was super special? No, it was just gold that came out of the ground. And they beat it and thin, and then they overlaid the whole of the wood, and then they built the mercy seat and the cherubim of gold uh, that sat above it. And God's presence didn't dwell in the box. What was in the box? The box had stuff in it. Aaron's rod that budded and the law. The condemnation of every person that has ever lived was in the box. The one thing that guarantees that no person will ever approach Christ on their own merit and their own works was in the box. Only by the blood of the lamb 
was the presence of God able to be in that place to cover the law. The law had to be covered, had to be paid for. It's a picture of Christ. Well, Samuel's day, the box is still there, but God's presence is gone. In Jesus' day, the box is gone, the rock is there, but who's coming? Is the Lamb of God. The mercy seat's going to be on a hill. They sang about it. We sang about it. Old rugged cross. The mercy seat, the blood's going to be poured out in heaven. The Ark of the Covenant here was just a picture of the heavenly sacrifice that God would make. But without Christ in it, without God in it, Christ was the box. In his human person, he contained the law. He was the law giver, but he was also the blood sacrifice that paid for the law. The box was merely a picture of Christ. It was to point us to Christ, just like everything else in the temple was. It's an interesting thing that Jeremiah passage, because it points to us, is that what, what man would often put all their stake into we're going to see it in just a couple of seconds here. What man, what Israel would put all their, uh, this is it. We got the box. We're good to go. We don't need God. We got the box. They had the trappings of religion. They had the box. And it's going to do the job for them. And that's all they needed. So let's move on. Uh, by the way, there's something interesting here is the word of the Lord came through Samuel. And then chapter four, verse one, the first part says, and the word of Samuel came to Israel. God works through men and women. God made his word synonymous with the word of Samuel. And that, that to me is a really uh, awesome thing to understand is that when you're doing what God's called you to do, God is speaking through you. It's not your words. It's his word through you. It's God speaking. He chooses to use humans, which I don't understand sometimes because none of us are perfect. But God chooses to use us. God chooses to work through us. God chooses to speak through us. And if we allow him, it's God speaking through us. There's only one guy in the whole nation of Israel at this point. It's just Samuel, a kid, growing up. Maybe he's in his 20s by now. But as he speaks, God's speaking. It's synonymous with his words and God's words because God's speaking through him. He's the only voice worth hearing in Israel at this time. So everything's going to be wonderful now that Samuel's the prophet of God, right? No, it's just getting started. It's just getting started. It's all, it's all bad. Okay, we're going to zip along. Um, I hope you can see it. There, there is an outward form of religion visible in Israel, but the inward reality of God's presence is absent. Israel in that day had the Ark of the Covenant. They had the sacrifices. They had the feast. They had the priesthood. They had the uh, golden lampstands. They had the showbread. They had the bronze labor. They had the altars. They, they had all the trappings of an outward view of religious activity. Sacrifice in the morning, sacrifice in the evening, all that stuff. And you know, in some ways, we're in that same thing. We have church. We sing a couple songs. We come on a certain day. We have a little sermon. We take communion. We have a little baptism. We go through these motions. And sometimes 
If we're not careful, those motions can become our holiness. Not the reality of Christ in us. In Samuel's day, all the motions, all the stuff had become the nation's entire religious activity. They had become the form and function. But no one had a place for God in it. So we move to the, uh, well, no, I'm going to read you something else. Hosea. God had something to say about it later to the prophets. So let me zip to Hosea chapter 6 real quick. Read you a little bit. You can come if you want to. You can stay there. Uh, Hosea. Just before Joel. Here we go. Chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we might live in his sight. Let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. O Ephraim, what shall I do with you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud. And like the early dew, it goes away. Therefore, I have hewn them by my prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like light that goes forth. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. But like men, they transgressed the covenant and they dealt there treacherously with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers and defiled with blood. As bands of robbers lie in wait for a man, so the company of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they commit lewdness. I have seen a horrible thing in the house of Israel. There is the harlotry of Ephraim. Israel is defiled. Alas, O Judah, a harvest is appointed for you when I return the captives of my people. Did anybody catch a similarity of the times of Eli? In those passages that I just read. About the third day. Well, that's that's a picture coming way up to Christ. Looking at him as God's restoration, God's salvation and deliverance. But I'm talking about the state of affairs in the time of Samuel. State of affairs. The priests were actually the ones slaughtering. The priests were engaged in lewdness. The people... They, they just offered sacrifices blindly, but they had no heart. God says, I want mercy, not sacrifice. I, I want to see a heart that's, that's actually understanding the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. The presence of God more than just our mere presence. Chapter 8 has a little bit to say about it too. Set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel will cry, will cry to me, my God, we know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. They set up kings, but not by me. They made princes, but I did not acknowledge them. From their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves that they might be cut off. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain to innocence? For from Israel is even this, a workman made it and it is not God. 
but the calf of Samaria shall be broken to pieces. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. The stalk has no bud. It shall never produce meal if it should produce. Aliens would swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now they are among the Gentiles like a vessel in which is no pleasure, for they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey alone by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Yes, though they have hired among the nations, now I will gather them. They shall sorrow a little because of the burden of kings and princes. Because Ephraim has made many altars for sin, they have become for him altars for sinning. I have written for him the great things of my law, but they were considered a strange thing. For the sacrifices of my offerings, they sacrifice flesh and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. Now he will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel has forgotten his maker and has built temples. Judah has also multiplied fortified cities, but I will send fire upon his cities and it shall devour his palaces. Um, Israel over and over found themselves in the same place as in the days of Samuel. God acknowledges it through Hosea the prophet. In the time of Samuel, we saw what Eli, what his sons were doing, how they were making a mockery of God in the temple. It's that sign of an outward religion. They built altars. They offered sacrifices. They did stuff that seemed religious. They talked about God. They made it like he was an important part of their world, but they actually were mocking God the whole time. God has something to say about it, and it's going to happen right here in chapter 4. Now Israel went out to battle. We're verse 1. Second half. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and camped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Apec. And then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring up from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. When the Ark of the Covenant was coming to the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hands of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. We'll stop there for just a second. Um, What's interesting is, did you notice in the Philistines what they said? They started with God is in the camp, and then they said, who are these mighty gods? Did you catch how it moved from the singular to the plural? Yeah. What does that say about Israel at that time? They didn't have good knowledge. They had gods, plural. They were serving other gods as well. The Philistines just recognized them as another, another society that had multiple gods. Now Israel, what they had done is they got whooped. 4,000 people died 
In the first battle that they have with the Philistines, 4,000 people go down and they say, hey, here's what we got to do. Let's go get our lucky rabbit's foot. And they ran back and they sent to get who? Hopni and Phineas, the high priest's sons, to carry out the Ark of the Covenant. That thing, that box where God dwelt above it between the cherubim, they're going to bring it in because, boy, that's just going to guarantee him. That's their lucky omen right there. That's going to guarantee him victory against the Philistines. And everybody in Israel saw it as it came into the camp. Everybody shouts. And they shout so loud, the Philistines get a little nervous and they get a little afraid. And they said, man, this is crazy. You see that? And how did they recognize the God and the gods of Israel? What was the phrase that was in there? This matters. Yeah, but how did they recognize the God? They, this is the God who defeated who? Uh, the Egyptians. Yeah. What's funny is in Hosea, it said it too. They're going to go back to Egypt. Uh, Egypt throughout the Bible is always a picture of captivity. It's going back to Egypt. It's a picture of going back to captivity. And so for them to say, hey, this is the God who defeated the Egyptians to say, hey, this is the God who defeated the Egyptians that let my people go in Moses's day. This is that God. That word had gone out. Even though there had been 40 years of wilderness all the time out there defeating nations in the promised land. This is the God. They, the Philistines knew about that God that had defeated the Egyptians. And Israel's bringing out their lucky rabbit's foot, like I said. They're bringing out the thing that they think is going to guarantee them victory. And then for a moment, it has a little effect. And the Philistines are like, oh boy, we're in trouble now. They got something going on over there. That must be God is in the camp. What's interesting here is the Israelites are posing themselves as working for God, is doing the Lord's work. The Philistines recognize that. They both are looking at the visible and they're missing the invisible. They're seeing the visible trappings of God and what he might be doing. But I, what I'd put to you is that this happens over and over again. Um, 1925 and 26, in a book called Mein Kampf, I don't know if you know who wrote that, uh, it was a feller named uh, Hitler. Hitler. Yeah, Hitler wrote it. Page 46, he said, I believe that my conduct is in accordance with the will of the almighty creator. Page 65, he wrote, I am convinced that I am acting as the agent of the almighty creator. By fighting the Jews, I am doing the Lord's work. November 8th, 2016, Nancy Pelosi wrote, they pray in church on Sunday and they pray on people the rest of the week. A little play on words, pray, P-R-A-Y, P-R-E-Y. And while we're doing the Lord's work, ministering to the needs of God's creation, they're ignoring those needs, which is a dishonor to the God who made them. New York Governor Kathy Hochul. This is read from her transcript. Uh, released by her office and of her speech at church. Yeah. She said, we're not through this pandemic. 
I wished we were, but I prayed a lot to God during this time. And you know what? God did answer our prayers. He made the smartest men and women, the scientists, the doctors, the researchers. He made them come up with a vaccine. That is from God to us. And we must say, thank you, God. Thank you. And I wear my vaccinated necklace all the time to say I'm vaccinated. All of you, yes. I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart ones. And, but you know there's people out there who aren't listening to God and what God wants. You know who they are. I need you to be my apostles. I need you to go out and talk about it and say, we owe this to each other. We love each other. Jesus taught us to love one another. And how do you show that love but to care about each other enough to say, please get the vaccine because I love you and I want you to live. I want our kids to be safe when they're in schools. I want to be safe when you go to a doctor's office or a hospital or are treated by with somebody. You don't want to get the virus from them. You're already sick or you wouldn't be there. We have to solve this, my friends. I need each one of you. I need you to let them know that this is how we fight the pandemic. Come back to normal and start talking about the real issues we have to. Fighting systemic racial injustice which exists today. And if there is a denier, I will take you on every day because I've seen it. I know it exists and we're not going to have a blind eye to this again any longer under my watch. This is my commitment to you. You're going to see a very diverse administration. You're going to see people from all walks of life having a shot to make a difference in government because I believe the only purpose of government is to lift people up and to serve. I've been a public servant my whole life and I believe there's a strong intersection between the teachings of the New and the Old Testament and what we've been told to do, the lessons we've been given, delivered to us in places like this all over in America. And if we're listening to those messages, it's calling all of us, but particularly those who've been called to serve as public servants, Positions like governor and congressman, assembly member, council member, all of us have an extra weight of responsibility because as you heard in the earlier songs today, and they're so beautiful, and I thank them for lifting up my heart and my soul listening to music. One of the messages was, God will keep his promise to you. God will keep his promise to you. And here is my promise to you, my friends. I will use the inspiration of God in my life and fight for you every single day as your governor and beyond. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for the privilege of representing you. She, uh, one of her number one priorities is to make New York a safe legal haven for women's productive health. They're the first state to legalize access to abortion in 1970, to codify into law in 2019 the right to abortion uh, as Roe versus Wade. How do you sacrifice to Molech and call upon the God of the Bible? How? How does Hitler kill six million Jews, Christians? And claim to be doing God's work. What happens is, is you have... Mark, go ahead. Not based on scripture. Yeah, not based on scripture. Absolutely not. That's why we test every spirit against the word of God. So what we have is an outward form of religion. An outward symbol. An outward sign of religion. Being carried out to be used for man's agenda. Bye bye. It's okay. It's okay. Not a problem at all. Not a problem at all. 
So we have in Samuel's day is man is trying to use God for their purpose. They're trying to twist God into their agenda. They're trying to create a narrative of God's, but it's not based on his word. It's not based on who he is. And God dealt with that. That's what he said in Hosea. He says, uh, your sacrifices, you might do them according to what I told you to do. But if your heart's not in it, I'm rejecting them. Going to church all your life is not going to save you. Knowing all the songs in the hymn book doesn't mean you're holy. It doesn't mean you've experienced God's grace and God's salvation. That comes when Christ is with you. That comes when he's done the work in you. Mike, I think this governor, the way I got it, she's trying to tell you, you'll be saved if you get vaccinated and you won't if you don't. <laughs> she was just twisting God's word. I know, but I'm... Yeah, you're exactly right. She's making it a thing that, uh, you know, you want to get your vaccine, you don't want to get your vaccine, you make your own choice. But what they're doing is they're pulling, just like Hitler did, is they're trying to support their agenda by turning God and bringing God into it. She's standing in a church. Uh, Lori and I were just, we were just dumbfounded the other day. Uh, at our school, when we were in school, this was 76 to 80 was the years we went to high school. There was a Christian TV station ministry, a guy named Ron House. And they had a Christian channel in the Bay Area. And... Um, his son was in our classes and went to church with us or went to school with us through a Christian school. And we were, uh, he just popped up suddenly in my Facebook and, uh, he had gone off after high school, married a gal, a beautiful, uh, gal. They had started a church out in Antioch and they had a television ministry on the same channel. His dad used to run this network. I think, I can't remember the numbers. It was out there by Port Chicago um, where their stations were and, uh, they were kind of the glossy TV looking feller, you know, the fake hair and the makeup deal. It was a little scary, but this kid, uh, you know, looked like he had everything rolling along. He had this ministry going and he just popped back up on Facebook on his page. And so I say, Oh, I remember him. And I click on it. Look, and he's, uh, the, Universal Christian Center uh, Church leading the gay men's, San Diego gay men's chorus with his gay lover and, you know, trying to meld God into his choice of something that's abhorrent to God. God said, says it's an abomination. Romans 1 says it's the result of man Worshiping the creation rather than the creator. There's no difference than what Hitler was doing. You say, well, wait, well, this is just a personal choice someone is making for their, who they love and what they're going. No, no. That was what Hitler was doing. He attributed his job to the creator. Is trying to honor the creator. There's a problem. When we use God to accommodate our sin... It's a problem because God will never be a part of our sin. God will never be a man's banner as just an outward symbol or a sign of religiousness. And as a result of that, God shows Israel right here. It's coming in the next verses. Because what happened, I only read you so far. What happened is here comes the Ark of the Covenant, probably all the fanfare, the priests carrying it in. And here's the, uh, Hopney and Phineas. Eli's too old. He's 98. He's back at the house. 
He's back at the tabernacle, but Hopney and Phineas are carrying it in. They bring it into the camp. Everybody goes, woo, check this out. We're rolling now. We're going to beat the Philistines. They just got whooped, 4,000 dead in the previous battle. But now we're going to beat them because we got the box. We're going to carry this box into battle, and this is going to mow them down. They're going to fall over, and the Philistines kind of like, whoa, I don't know what to do. You know, it had the reverse effect. It's because listen to what happens with the Philistines. Check this out. Verse 9. Be strong. This is the Philistines talking among themselves. They just got done saying, whoa, whoa, God that beat the Philistines and the plagues and the wilderness, all that stuff. And then, but listen what happens, verse 9. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become the servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Check it out. Also, the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas died. See, God's faithful. God's faithful in both his mercy and his judgment. They abused God. They blasphemed God. They stole from God. They played with God. They tried to play with God, bring him out in the box. They thought they could use God to their agenda. It cost them deeply. It's the fulfillment of the prophecy that Samuel spoke. That God told Eli... Or God told Samuel that he had to tell Eli his very first prophecy has just become fulfilled through him. Through what God does. The Philistines faced with Israel jumping and shouting and all excited about the box that came into their midst. They forgot that it, without God, it's just a box. Folks, this building, without God in it, it's just a building. Your attendance at church without God in it's just attendance. Your religious observation without God in it is just religious practice. It has no value whatsoever. Go ahead, Paul. Um, the Lord showed me not too long ago some things. But one of the things he showed me about Hitler is that uh, nobody uh, names their kids Hitler. And the reason why is that one man did a lot of damage in this world. If you don't mm -hmm. be deceitful enough, it can do a lot of damage. And what they have now in warfare, God showed me that one person actually can do a lot of damage in this world. Yep. You know, with this germ warfare. I was trained in germ warfare, and the Lord has given me a dream. I mean, uh, spoke to me, dealt with me, yeah, in the night, in the nighttime. You know, that, um, that this virus would take a hold of this world. I did not understand it, so I didn't speak it out. But my sister, about four or 500 miles away, in Whittier, California, her son is a pastor, first of Calvary Chapel. God showed her among the same thing that he was showing me. And we got on the phone and we started talking and comparing notes. And this virus uh, 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 that the Lord has shown me that would hit this world, I did not understand it. 
and I was afraid to speak it because I was the one going around doing it, you know. And so I didn't want to speak it to anybody, you know, because I didn't understand it myself. And uh, it sounds like I'm I'm a bad guy, okay. But then it got very clear when this all happened that the Lord was showing me that one person, like Hitler, you know, one person could really mess up this world, you know. And so we're living in that time now, where one person with probably a high school education doesn't need a college one, just do a little thinking, uh, can take that take a virus and sprinkle it around to other nations very simply, you know, by putting on door, doorposts in business places, and that thing would just take right on off in other nations. But we're not through with this stuff, you know. Uh, there's been a lot of thought by evil people about this type of stuff. And uh, we can expect a lot more before it's over with. What's interesting here is that Israel falls shortly after trying to use God as a religious trinket. I reached for the furthest thing I could think of that was secular, which was the lucky rabbit's foot in a description of how Israel was trying to use the Ark of the Covenant. Because I wanted to make the point that without God, that's all it is. It's just something that we're going to put our faith and our trust in. In our day, the fear of death has man putting their faith and trust in science. I always have been uh, amused at the thought of uh, science when they cite their sources. And usually it's citing some peer-reviewed article, some peer-reviewed book, some peer-reviewed. Who's your peer? Mark? Someone that's the same as you. Okay. So you get a bunch of men together or women together, and as long as you can agree on something, you're good. That makes it true. Yeah? Let's just all agree God's dead. That make it true. Science says it. The Darwinian theory that is taught as a religious religious practice, it's not based on fact. It can't be reproduced. It's not science. It can't be reconducted. But it's taught as fact. So it makes it a religion. You got to put your faith in some. Um, that's just man agreed because someone else agreed with someone else's agreement and someone else's agreement prior to that and someone else's agreement prior to that. Chase it back to the beginning. Where does the fact lie? Okay, the fact exists all around us. God said man would do exactly what they do is they worship the creation rather than the creator. For all that man sees, when you see the intricacies of a cell, you see the interaction of DNA, RNA, you see the way chromosomes work and amino acids work, and you see the neurons, and you see the parts of the body, and the, the way your brain functions, and the way um, everything, your reproductive system, everything functions, and, and it's a miracle. And man says, well, it evolved out of a fish. Oh, but you laugh, but we teach it to the children. For the last 40 years, 50 years, it's been science. That's science. That's fact. 
comes down to there's one thing to trust. That's God. And it's the word of the Lord. And remember in Eli's day, the word of the Lord was what? In Eli's day. Rare. Rare. And then Samuel. When Samuel became the man of God, when Samuel did what God called him to do, what happened? The Lord let not a single word of Samuel's fall to the ground. Fall to the ground. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. There's two things that are biblical. God made trees, right? You know, and there's tree rings. And the people that are saying, you know, climate change, they never mention tree rings. And it shows you climate change for a couple thousand years. You know, uh, and, and it's accurate, 100%. It does, it's not democratic or Republican, <laughs> you know, it mm-hmm. just tells you the truth. And then uh, the other thing is that the, uh, uh, there's the scripture that says that uh, there's going to be a time that they're going to kill you, and do, they think that they're doing God's service. That's exactly what the Muslims, how they think, mm-hmm. you know, that they can kill us and they're doing God's service. But you don't hear people say that, you know. But the word is powerful, and what God made is powerful. And it's a powerful, truthful testimony, like the tree ring, for instance. You know, praise the Lord. Yep. I was looking for the passage out of Second Thessalonians. I don't have it right off the top of my head because I didn't write it down. Uh, where God says, "Oh, it's verse uh, eleven." Um, Verse 9, uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9. Uh, even him, this is talking about the Antichrist, the man of wickedness, um, lawlessness, whose coming is after the working of Satan's with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they shall believe a lie that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What's interesting is the contest for man's souls uh, today is around truth and lies. And everyone wants to present truth. Well, it comes down to it. God's word is the only truth that I'm going to believe. The if you can get twelve people to agree with you, you're good. <laughs> I like Hebrews two fourteen and fifteen. For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same Christ. He became flesh and blood for us, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The fear of death creates in man a bondage, a captivity that they live in. The freedom of that is Christ. It's not religion. It's not the practice of religion. It's not a box where God dwelt in. The Philistines and Israel made the same mistake. They both put their faith in the visible actions of man's activities over the invisible presence of God. 
who had actually created everything, who had delivered Israel time and time again. They became more comfortable because what they wanted was just to have a nice life and have God over there. Fear wasn't necessary. Uh, the enthusiasm that the Philistines saw over Israel's outward show of religion was ill-spent. See, God wasn't in the box. He wasn't in the camp with the priest. He wasn't anywhere to be found where they thought God would be found. He had only appeared through one fellow, through one guy. He was only speaking through one guy. And that brings me to a point. Paul said one guy can do a lot of damage. Well, I'm going to give you the other side of that. One guy can do a lot of good. It's one person used by God, speaking God's truth, depending on God's truth and not popular opinion. Oh, your message may be offensive. I'm sure Samuel's message was offensive to Eli. And guess what, Eli? You're going to die. Uh, guess what? Your sons are going to die too. And your priesthood's gone forever. You're, you're out of the line. That was his message that he had to give. That was the very first prophecy he spoke to Eli. Samuel spoke hard word, but he spoke truth. And the truth was borne out. The truth was carried out in this place. And we can see the consequence of what happened. Eli's sons died. More happens. I'm going to read it in just a second. But the reality is that Samuel, by trusting God, by saying, God, here I am, send me. Speak, Lord, that servant heareth. Being ready to go, being ready to do what God called him to do, did good. He did the right thing. God was with him. His word was with him. The rest of the camp, they were just trusting in the outward show of religion. We got a lot of places in America today, that church in San Diego that I just mentioned, the church or whatever it was that the governor was speaking from in New York. There were a lot of places that called themselves churches. They, they give a word, they give a lip speak to God. They give him no heart devotion. There's nothing there. It's an empty, empty sepulcher. It's a place for the fear, for those who fear death, who those who are still in bondage because of the fear of death. Okay, let's finish up, read the rest of this. Uh, we're coming to chapter four, verse 12. A little bit late today. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line that same day, and he came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came, there was Eli sitting on a site by the wayside, sitting on a seat by the wayside, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. When the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Now there are two shouts visible here. One is Israel shouts when the ark comes into the camp. And now the news comes into the camp and Israel shouts again. There's two noises. Sad part is, is old Eli is sitting there trembling for the ark of God. He's not trembling for the presence of God. He's trembling for the ark of God. As the high priest, where should he have been? With the ark of God. Where was he? Sitting in his rocking chair back at the house. Okay. This second shout shakes him to the core. Watch what happens. Then the man said, um, oh, hold it. It says, the man came quickly and told Eli. 15. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle and I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? 
So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also your two sons, Hopni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. And then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off his seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. Consequences aren't over yet. Keep going. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas's wife, was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth for her later labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, Do not fear, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. And then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God had been captured, and because of her father-in-law and her, her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Premature labor, most likely, her death imminent, and uh, her observation of the glory has departed. Sadly, she was a little late in that because the glory had long ago departed. And the ark of the Lord had covered. But you see how much faith they put in the objects, the physical objects, the structure of holiness and righteousness. They put all their faith in the, in the pews and in the hymn books and in the, in the offering bucket and in the communion table. and in, They put all in the outward show. But they missed the fact that God had been missing for years. They missed that fact. And, and yeah, it's a great uh, challenge. I read this, Paul, and I think of you because e Eli, not in a bad way, but Eli fell the way you fell. And in his case, it broke his neck and he died. You made it back. God saved you. That's miraculous. Yes, it was. Eli didn't make it back. That was it. He was done. 98 years old and heavy, fell back, landed on the back of his neck, broke his neck, he died. And even the doctors tell, say openly that it was a miracle. Absolutely. God wasn't in the box. God wasn't in the camp with the priest or anywhere near where Israel thought he would be. Their outward religion had failed. Their faith in the structures of religion had failed. The fear of the facade had failed for the Philistines, judgment came. And how, I think about Samuel, how hard would that have been? That's his ministry. That's his life so far, is to watch the destruction of the people, watch the judgment of the people, to be this lone voice for God, to be speaking for God, to watch 30,000, 34,000 people killed of the armies, to watch the Ark of the Covenant go away. Now, is God done? No, in fact, God's not done at all. Uh, the next part is one of my favorite stories in, in the Bible is because God deals with uh, Dagon and uh, the God through the Ark of the Covenant, and uh, we have a lot, of, a lot to go. And that Ark does not come back until David dances. That's my way of marking those points in time. The Ark does not come back to Israel in a proper way until David dances. So there's a whole bunch of time here because Saul comes and then David and there's years and years and years that they're missing that because of the judgment of God on them. Because what they do, they try to put God in a box. They try to use God like a lucky rabbit foot. 
God wasn't part of their daily lives. God wasn't part of their heart. God was just a thing. It was just something they did. Wax the car. It was just something to do on Saturday. Just something to do on Sunday. And, and Samuel's born into a time like that. We may be born into a time like this so that we can be the Samuel. Are you going to be the one? Are you going to be the one that God's going to speak through? Are you going to be the one to speak the truth of God's word? Or are you just going to go along with the factory line? With the government word? With the science? That seems to change every day, by the way. That changes daily. God's never changed. God's still the same. Go ahead, Mark. It's the best science money can buy. <laughs> every day. All right, let's pray. Look at that. We're not too late. It's only three minutes after. It's not too bad. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the way you've uh, provided for us and kept us safe over the weeks and the months past. Uh, Lord, we don't fear what man can do to us. We don't fear what uh, life in this world can do to us because uh, we know that we have an eternity and a future with you. We needn't have no more fear of death. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And that is because you have delivered us from the bondage of death. Lord, let us live in that victory of life. Let us live in that eternal life daily. Let us trust you. Let us be able to speak words of truth. Let us be able to speak as Samuel spoke, trusting in you, leaning on you. And Lord, may not a word of yours fall to the ground through our mouth. Lord, let it not be wasted. We praise you for the opportunity we have to just um, be challenged, to see in the failure of Israel at this time, uh, not just how bad they were, but just an opportunity to reflect on, on how important it is that we don't make you a byword, that we don't make you just a, a talisman that we carry around our neck or uh, something we put up on the shelf that we make a little offering to here and there. Uh, you are the God who heals. You are the God who saves. But a truth of who you are is you are also the God who judges. And uh, Lord, I fear our country is in that judgment. I fear there is much more to come. We are running headlong uh, just like fools. Uh, our country is running headlong uh, away from you and into anything that's destructive and uh, Lord, I pray that you just raise up more Samuels to speak your word in these days of judgment. Lord, you're a good God. You're a gracious God. You're a forgiving God. May people cry out to you and find redemption, find grace in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sorry we're in such hard words. I, I swear we're going to get to Song of Solomon someday. Yes, I have a prayer request. And so what happened, Glenda? Your cursive is so good that... Um, I got a call this morning from Michigan and uh, the health um, people, the person that from the... I don't know how they work it with um, assisted living or something. But anyway, she called to say that my mother had fallen out of her chair, her wheelchair, and, and hit her head. She just had a, but she seemed okay. Okay. She checked everything and s such. So, and she was eating lunch. So my brother said, well, if she's eating lunch, then she's probably okay. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. he goes twice a week to see her. He is leaving for Germany for three weeks, and there will be nobody. 
I mean, they'll call me. Right. They called me today because they couldn't get a hold of him. Yeah, but you can't like just drive to Michigan. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. All right, Mark. Josh's twin brother John uh, somehow got a pallet on his leg, um, and he's been to a couple of specialists in the ER, and um, he's on crutches and can't walk. They were trying to write him a slip for to go back to work, um, light duty, and I guess his wife was screaming at the people at the hospital, the doctor, and, uh, you know, so he's on crutches, he can't walk, you know? Yeah. And so, um, I guess they're worried about an infection. Um, it, to me, they sent me a picture and it looked like a bad, a real bad brush burn. But below the thing, it's crushed, and then it's all swelled up below it. Mm. So, um, yeah, compression injuries are really tricky. Um, that, that's some a of the specialist that they sent him to. I don't know what the result of that was because they were so stressed when they talked to me on the phone that they went to sleep and they said we have to deal with this tomorrow and. We're just, we can't talk anymore. And they're not like that. They're always wanting to talk to me. So. Oh, stress. Okay, we'll pray for them. For John. Okay, anybody else? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the promises in your word that you are the God who hears. You hear our request. And Lord, I pray that you would just take special notice this morning of John and Glenda's mom. Lord, just wrap both of them up in your care and your healing and uh, let there be no further damage from what has occurred in either case. And Lord, uh, especially with Glenda's brother being gone, uh, I just pray that you just pray, put your presence even uh, closer and more precious around Glenda's mom to just let her know that you're there and uh, keep her safe and in the wheelchair where she needs to be. And uh, Lord, free from any pain or any... Uh, continuing issues as a result of this fall. Uh, Lord, I pray you be with the doctors that are dealing with John's situation and let that healing happen. Uh, show your mercy in there and take away the pain and the swelling and the uh, damage to the blood vessels and muscle tissue that has most likely happened. And I pray that you would uh, just gird him back up and get him back on his feet. And may he know more of you, Lord, when this is over. May he have found more of your truth in his life when he is done with this challenge. Lord, uh, guard us all, keep us in your will, keep us uh, under your protective wing. And Lord, uh, may our weeks ahead be filled with opportunities to praise you and to speak your truth. May it be an opportunity for us to just acknowledge uh, your great love towards us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Alrighty. Well, here we are in October. And uh, normally the first Sunday of the month would be communion, but um, my calendar was all messed up in my head. And so because of the lateness of the day,